Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And today we are super excited. Um, we have an interview to, to do instead of a journal review, uh, like we've been doing uh, the past few episodes. Um, and we're excited to have our colleague, our friend, our collaborator from SMELTS, which is Sea Mammal Education Learning Technology Society. And um, they do some really cool stuff that we're going to get into. Um, but the main idea is that they produce ropeless fishing gear. Um, which is important for a variety of reasons. Um, but I'm going to let Rich uh, do a bit more introduction of himself. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, yeah, Richard Riles. I'm the executive director of the Smelts. Um, I'm the founder and the inventor to the ropeless liftback technology that we presented to the industry to try to mitigate or end whale entanglement in fixed fishing gear. So trap pot fisheries and gillnet fisheries. Uh, the vertical line, the persistent vertical line is a very deadly um, device for whales. It's an incredibly important piece of technology for the fishermen. It's how they get their gear back and mark their technology, but it is very challenging for migrating whales and feeding whales to move through these fisheries. And um, we decided that we were going to work very hard on trying to figure out a technology that would uh, hopefully solve this forever. Yeah, and I, I when we first met, uh, we first met at a conference quite a few years ago now. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy how time flies. Um, but we just immediately connected on that and just uh, Rich's uh, desire to save the whales. I mean, that really is one of the biggest reasons that you guys are doing this work. Um, and we'll get into, I think, that a bit more as we go here. Um, and it's really, it is really, really important work. But we're going to start with another question that's a little bit more just uh, general and just to kind of get to know you question. Um, what is your favorite marine mammal and why? That's a great question. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of interest in marine mammals, but one of, one of my most favorite is the sperm whale. Mm -hmm. um, they are, they are one of the most unique creatures the planet has ever seen. Um, a a, a free-breathing atmosphere animal that can swim miles below the ocean and eat some of the scariest things that the ocean has. Like legitimate have, monsters from the deep. I mean, they're really, monsters, giant squid. monsters from the deep. <laughs> and they, they are such an incredible family-oriented species. And they... They live in some of the most unique, deep pelagic areas the world has, and they truly can do things to their body and anatomy that very few creatures on the planet can do. And they've always amazed me since I was a little kid. Moby Dick, um, when I saw my first sperm whale, I was just absolutely in awe. And yeah, I've always loved them. They, they're just, uh, they are a special creature. And um probably as marvelous and miraculous as like what a dinosaur would be if you ever saw a dinosaur that's how i feel about them yeah i i would agree the sperm whales are pretty impressive um i i have not gotten to see one but i i a lot of my background that i do for the research that we do with social structure of dolphins and stuff like that um i write a lot of those papers about sperm whales because they have such a detailed social structure and it's it, you're right it's just they're just cool all, all all the way from social structure to what they eat and what they can do physiology with their dives it's pretty crazy where did yeah. you get to see them um I, i've the seen them i've seen them multiple places um the, the the first time i ever saw them really close and hung out with them was in monterey canyon um oh. i i was i was very fortunate to hang out with 11 sperm with that were there all day they were feeding all day Ooh. and we pretty much stayed with them almost the whole time um and then i've seen them offshore in the gulf of maine about 100 miles out and uh it was really cool there was god there was like four or five species of 
of whales and dolphins and uh, they appeared out of nowhere and they had been they had definitely been feeding because they had like scraps on their face and uh, oh my yeah. <laughs> it was really cool and then i've twice i've been out i i carry a hydrophone with me all over the place and um i have it set up for my you know my earbuds or i can play it over a loudspeaker and twice we've heard them clicking we never saw them but we knew they were around um and once that was here off the oregon coast and then the other time was back in massachusetts um, oh that's cool well the, the, yeah, there we, was that one that one recently in the sailor sea that we didn't know was here but they heard it over the hydrophones and then they zoomed out and found it, it was some juvenile sperm whale that was way off of yeah no it was amazing and you know yeah. just, just came just came for a cruise she's like i'm just gonna check things out i just gonna mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's the thing i tell people all the time you know when we're dealing with all this ropeless fishing and stuff and you know, trying to figure out how to manage fisheries or close fisheries or allow ropeless. And I tell people all the time, I say, you know, whales have tails. They can go where they want. You know, we <laughs> think that we know where they're going to be, but they can be anywhere they want. And even though as scientists, I mean, you guys, you guys are amazing studiers of these creatures. You know, we all of a sudden we'll see a unique animal in, a, in an area that you're like, why is there a beluga here? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why I, I say I will never say never. Like people are like, oh, I saw a beluga here or I saw this here. And like probably they didn't, but I will never say never because there's always those weird guys that just show up out of nowhere, you know, like a beluga in Sailor Sea, beluga down in Monterey Bay. <laughs> oh, it's you never incredible. know what they're gonna do. No, they're they're they are a, a very fascinating species. You know, it's it's hard for me to pick a favorite mm. because I, I, I love them all and I've I've been able to see many of them um that's kind of my my hobby and i hope as i continue to age with my son and travel the globe i've always wanted to go to the azores and hang out with the sperm whales there mm -hmm. um but pretty much i i dedicate my you know my 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 holidays and my trips my vacations to places i can go to see whales and dolphins and turtles and pinnipeds um, just the, the marine mammals that, you know, are, are out there trying to survive. And, you know, that's a big passion for us and our family and our organization. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's great when those can combine. I mean, it's very similar to, I think, myself and Kat, where, you know, we do what we love and we, we get to work with that. But we also like our vacation would be like, yeah, let's go see the marine mammals of wherever we're going to. <laughs> no, exactly. So much. Yeah. I think that kind of leads nicely into the next question, which is just like a little bit more about kind of how you got where you are, Rich. So, I mean, I know your, your story is pretty fascinating, but I would love for you to share just a little bit more about what led you to create smelts and kind of what brought you to that point. Yeah, the, since I was a little kid, I, I've been fascinated by animals, not just marine animals, just animals in general. I, I've always, um, I've always found solace in hanging out with animals and animal watching. And when I was young, it was, a, it was a place for me to have peace growing up. My parents got separated when I was really young. And um, instead of, you know, getting in trouble, I, I took very serious interest in, in animals and seeing animals and rescuing animals and learning about animals. It was just always fascinating to me that something that didn't have a, a drugstore or a grocery store or a doctor could survive as long as us at times. You know, some of these animals can live as long as we do. And, and we have all kinds of needs. You know, we have to wear clothes. We, we got to go buy our groceries. And, and, and I was always just intrigued by these things that could survive with, without all that. And, and as I got older, I started rescuing more and more animals. I, and and then I started really paying attention to what was happening in the ocean and I got involved with stranding networks and for about five years I hounded um, his name is Jameson Smith he was the last national disentanglement director for NOAA and and I kept begging him that, that I wanted to get into training and I wanted to you know full-on apprenticeship and he kept blowing me off. It's like, you're crazy. You're not even a biologist. You're an engineer. What, you know, what are you trying to rescue these whales for? 
but I never stopped and I, I never gave up on him. And right before he actually ended up, he ended up resigning, but he's like, you're going to be my last person. I'm going to put through the apprenticeship program. Oh, and, cool. Cool. and I was very fortunate. So I got to spend the summer in P-Town and the Center for Coastal Studies is there. And I got to study under Scott Landry. He's kind of one of the, the main gurus uh, in the world for disentanglement and, and Dave Matilla. And Dave Matilla trains the world through the International Whaling Commission. And he goes out and he sets up schools and training and builds these teams around the globe to try to disentangle whales that are basically stuck in fixed gear. And, and I was just fascinated with the idea that I could physically try to really rescue these animals. Um, and, and I did all that training and lots of whales and, you know, a lot of chasing, a lot of humpbacks off the coast of Massachusetts, but the, the trainers all kept saying the same thing to me. They're like, the story of rescuing one whale is incredibly important. And it means a lot to that animal and it definitely makes the teams feel good, but we have to figure out how to prevent this because we're killing probably nine out of 10 of these animals. We get, we rescue one, we kill nine more. They're like, those numbers are never gonna be able to sustain these species. And, and ultimately they have, they have nutrition and caloric requirements that like our females do for giving live birth to babies. And they need, they need this food, they need the safety and and when we start tangling up these animals and they can't even give birth, they barely can survive. I just knew that something had to be done. And being an engineer that loved marine mammals that had disentangled whales and pinnipeds and strandings, I just decided that I was going to pour every thought, idea, piece of brain power I had to try to solve this problem. And, and I had a couple thoughts I was like well what if we just thought about salvaging fishing gear mm. and, and and change my whole perspective of how fisheries goes about their day mm. and and that's what led me I started studying salvage and that's what led me to the lift bag idea I I, I went and did some salvage with some companies I, I reached out to other salvage experts and they were like oh that makes sense um and then when I talked to fishermen, they started realizing, well, I've seen, I saw a boat in the harbor sunk, and that's how they got it back. And oh, I was like, that makes sense. Yeah, they get it on there, and then it, and it will help. Pull, instead of having to like pull it up with lines, you could just yep. lift it up with the bag. Yep, and it's super, it's super powerful, and it's. And I thought that maybe, maybe fishermen would listen to this crazy cockamamie <laughs> idea that I had, and and give me a chance, but. But that's where it all started. I, the, the passion for the animals, the, the, the really wanting to just literally jump on the back of a whale and cut it free and send it, send it on its way, being happy. Mm -hmm. um, but then something else crazy has happened in this whole process. I, I've, I've gained a huge amount of respect for the fisheries, the fishing communities, the families that live by the ocean. And, and most of them truly care about it deeply and are great conservationists and I've been very lucky to gain friendship and understanding from these men and women and it, it drove my passion even more because I started feeling like save a fisherman save a whale mm -hmm. and and that that logo in my mind and it just backed up my mission and ultimately hopefully my vision of removing these vertical lines and giving these fishermen the tools that they need that they can prosper and really keep these animals safe from harm's way. Yeah, and I think that's great that there was a, um, a similar idea that happened with manatees down in, I think it was South America, um, where they realized that if they went to the fishermen and you know like talked to them as people and showed them how important the manatees were, that they became one of the biggest conservation people for the manatee, right? And, and people think it's the opposite, right? Well, we, they, they're doing that and that's against the marine mammals. But if you really get down to it, they care too. They, they care about that environment because that's what they do. Um, and that's their livelihood and they love the ocean. Nobody who is out on the ocean all the time hates the ocean. It's, it's, 
it's no. it, it, it doesn't work like you have you have to love the ocean to be out there all the time you have so, to we have to yeah i've spent many days on boats and i'm amazed how much i can't wait to get back on another one i was that's what i was doing today is working on our research boat we're we've been really working our tail off trying to get this thing ready for the season so yeah i mean it's awesome it's it's a, it's a way of life and it's a type of person but it's it's this connection that's finally happening in society where the love of whales is becoming more well known. Um, even pinnipeds, you know, the sea dogs, mm -hmm. that, you know, people are like, what? I didn't realize we're catching thousands of these in gill nets. Yeah, right. we don't talk about it, but you know, these are the and the fishermen don't want them in their gill nets because it wrecks their gill nets and they have to <laughs> cut them out and you know they got no observers on board. Like, oh man. So, you know, we're trying hard to mitigate these, these real problems in fisheries. And at the end of the day, I hope it makes it more efficient and, and gains real ground for the fishermen where they actually, they start embracing it and they start actually enjoying this change. Mm -hmm. Well, because it, it doesn't have to be that they are, it, it's whatever changes have to be made are gonna make their life more difficult. It could, it could make their life better. Like it just, you have to look at it in a different way. You don't have to say it's this or that. It can be both. And I think that's a really important thing to talk about with conservation. And I, I tell, to tell that to my students all the time. It's not that the environment is always gonna win or the people are always going to win. That's not how it works. We have to do things together and we can both win. No, exactly. It, it, it has be to be compromise and all the stakeholders mm -hmm. have, to, have to be involved and you know, hash it out and get to a common ground. Because if we don't, It'll just get spoiled in the end, you know, all this work that gets done. And, you know, so that's that's really what we're working hard to do. You know, I've set out to save these animals, but I never realized that it would be such a psychological, you know, endeavor and the socioeconomics that are involved with this project would would be so, you know, I, I've learned so much. I, I never imagined how much I would learn with this project when I first started, but it has been incredible what I've learned and how many different groups and stakeholders I've been able to listen to what they say and, mm -hmm. and take it in and be like, you know what, I, that makes sense to me. And I, you know, I gotta, I gotta think outside the box a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, we still, we gotta stop killing these animals. And, yep. you know, they are very important to the ocean beyond something cool to look at. You know, they are the farmers. They, they, they do more than we could ever imagine to keep our oceans healthy. Yeah, we did the whole, uh, at least part of a podcast on the whale poop uh, pump, yeah. you know, <laughs> so it keeps the oceans going. So even if the, you know, fishermen or anybody else didn't care about the mammals themselves, they need to care if you like the fish that you eat, because without them, the ecosystem can collapse and you won't have everything else. So it's, it's not just caring about one species, it's caring about that species in that ecosystem and keeping that all in balance. Oh, um, so I think this is a good part to go into uh, why entanglement is so dangerous and what it means to the whales. Cause you kind of started with that a little bit and I'll start off with just a, a brief overview, 10,000 foot overview of if we're talking about the traditional gear, the fixed gear that Rich has been talking about is a, a pot on the bottom of the ocean with a line that goes all the way up to the surface and then a buoy in the top. And that's so, like, as he said, they can, uh, fishermen can find the gear, they can retrieve it. It's also so that the, uh, the government can also, and the regulatory things can say like, oh, this is how many pots this particular group has. Um, so it's a regulatory thing as well. But the big issue with that is the lines that are in the water. So the whales and these, and we're talking generally with the larger whales, baleen whales, they're really large. <laughs> and sometimes these lines can be I mean, it's like an obstacle course, honestly, in the water. So there was a really good, I don't remember who it was from, but they, there was a video that they put like a, it was a animated whale and it showed how they kind of maneuver in the water and how they roll and then how that can, can cause the, the ropes to get wrapped around their flukes, their peduncle, which is the tail area right before the flukes um, around their pectoral fins. And so obviously um, it was just a really good visualization of like how that happens but it can kill them directly by just tangling them so much that they can't get up to breathe because these are air breathers, right? They have to think about coming up and breathing. But as Rich alluded to earlier, um, especially with females, 
Um, sometimes these whales are dragging hundreds of pounds, if not more, of this gear for weeks, possibly months, depending on, on what it is. And that's draining. So I, I, when I tell students, I'm like, well, think about, uh, or I, ju I just hooked you up to a hundred pound weight and you have to carry that around or drag it around for the next week. You're gonna lose your energy. <laughs> you're gonna get exhausted and you're not gonna be able to find food. So this is, you know, they can't go to a grocery store and go buy whatever fish they want. <laughs> they have to go forage for it. So it can take long, a long time for these animals to die and they basically starve to death because they don't have the energy or the reserves to be able to forage efficiently. Um, and with females, it's even harder because lactation and uh, giving birth is really um, uh, energetically costly being pregnant and lactating. Uh, and they'll often you know, give to the calf and not keep enough for themselves. But if they die, the calf dies and now you've lost two out of the population. Um, and the, this brings up one uh, that just came up. It was that right whale. Do you, do you know which North Atlantic right whale, the name of the one that had the, it was the female that just gave birth, but she had, she's still entangled? Oh yes, it's snow cone. It's snow cone, that's right. She's a very famous whale now because she's the first whale that we've ever seen able to do this. And, mm -hmm. and, and again, it's a two years ago, I, I, I spoke to some politicians and I, I gave them a mandate that, you know, society needs to protect these animals even further. And, and we need to get the checkbooks open of the, the public because these whales are proving to us that they don't want to go extinct. They don't want to perish. They are doing everything evolutionary and biologically that they can do to stay alive and survive. And, and Snow Cone has proven it once again. For years, scientists said it was impossible, impossible for an entangled mama to give birth. And, and she has, I think in some ways, you know, just like what we saw with the killer whales, you know, carrying around a, a dead baby for, you know, three weeks. Um, you know, these, these mamas are, they are trying so hard, you know, yeah. it, it's, we got to do everything we can. So that's another reason why we really all have to work together. They, they are doing everything they can. They, they are proving to us. They do not want to perish. In spite of us, they are like, no, <laughs> we are going to survive. Even if you keep throwing things at us for real. And so that was when I saw that, it was one of those things where it was like, oh, that's so awesome that she's still giving birth. But then as a mother, I've had two kids. I couldn't imagine having to do what she has to do and have a hundred pound weight behind me. Like she just is the epitome of badass mom. <laughs> no, that's, that's it. And, and again, just you know, why we work tirelessly, why I don't sleep at night, you know, trying to figure out ways to keep moving and keep making progress because this is it. This is our time in history to get this right. right. And, and there's enough technology, there's enough good people, there's enough great fishermen, and there's enough tough whales that, that we, you know, we just got to figure it out and get it right. And, you know, that, that entanglement, simulation you were talking about the new england aquarium did this okay and and i explained to people because i hear this all the time people are like well whales are stupid why do they just swim into a line and i was like well uh, listen how many how many accidents have you been involved with your life and and think of this most of us have experienced this you're walking down a path all of a sudden a giant spider web comes across your face and <laughs> you just walk keep walking and brush no most people ah, scream and roll around and bat their face. And I was like, that same reaction is exactly what these poor animals mm -hmm. sense. And this thing hits their flipper, hits their mouth. And I'm like, you know, it's not, I've been in the ocean many, many days and it's not easy to see a lot of stuff that the ocean has. It's amazing that they can see anything. The yeah. ocean, it's a milk of, of, you know, detritus and 
Yeah, it's not like clear blue you can see for miles. No. <laughs> no, most places where whales live, it's hard to see. See a few feet. <laughs> At least when they're feeding. If they're if they're giving birth, those are usually clear water areas. But yeah. when they're feeding and they're traveling, those are that's pretty murky water, pretty dirty water, and not so much dirty, but definitely a lot of you know, basically stuff, stuff in 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 the water column, and you know. I, because I've actually seen a whale get entangled, like live in in person, that animal was just swimming, and yeah. and I've and I've seen many humpbacks hit gear, and actually get around it. But mm -hmm. man, you see the line, you see the buoys moving. I mean, that's every summer out off the mm -hmm. Stone Bank. I mean, I just I hold my breath every day out there, and and that's what the Center for Coastal Studies is doing. They're just chasing around humpbacks that are in you know active lobster gear and and the the thing about the ropeless gear is you know there's always a chance for a whale to get entangled right they go down they roust around the bottom the the traps in, at least in lobster fishery most of the traps are connected with ground line it's a sinking ground line they used to actually use neutral line or even buoyant line and that really made it easy for right whales and humpbacks to get entangled at the bottom when they're down feeding. Um, gray whales out here in the West, they, they have the same problem. They'll come up with, you know, a, a crab trap on their rostrum. Yeah. So, you know, whales do go down to the bottom and they do get into the gear in the bottom, but the vertical line is 90% of the culprit and probably ground lines, probably about 10. Um, and then there's another thing that we totally believe in. We use a technology. We're partnering with another group called Blue Ocean Gear. And uh, her name is Dr. Courtney Opshog. And she invented a telemetry buoy that's used for fixed fisheries. And, and then I met her and I started convincing her that we need to take this buoy and bring it to the bottom of the ocean for ropeless gear. And at first she was like, what is ropeless gear? What, what are you <laughs> talking about? And and I said, look at, I want to put telemetry on this gear. So if a whale ever did get entangled, we actually can mount a rescue quickly. And the best chance for that animal to, to, to be saved is to get on that animal and get that rope while it's still slippery, while the right. rope is fresh and clean and not embedded in them. And so we don't, we don't sell any of our gear without telemetry with it because we want to show that every piece of technology that's out there to save the animals with an active fishery, we use it and we pay attention. And I believe that all other fixed gear fisheries should be using surface telemetry buoys. So if a whale did get entangled in that fixed gear, because we're talking millions of vertical lines that we have yeah. to slowly start removing. But right now, her technology could mount very very organized logistically planned rescues because not only does she have telemetry on the buoy but she actually has a patented algorithm of the way that that buoy moves we know it's a whale oh so, that, that makes sense because it could move for other reasons but you want to know that it's a whale taking it yeah yeah um so there's an accelerometer in the buoy and and you know these are changes in fisheries that you know could could help fishermen it takes some heat off them and ultimately can help these whales because the, the amazing disentanglement teams that are out there, they, they now have a much better chance to get on that animal and they don't have to spend maybe a week or two weeks flying, surveying, boat mm -hmm. trip. Finding it again. They, mm -hmm. they know where that animal is and they can put their effort and their energy into disentangling instead of having to try to locate. And I think that's a, a great point of that it's doing ropeless fishing gear is going to take some time. It has to be developed and then to implement it into an existing fishery, it's going to take time to make that those changes just as it does with anything else. So it's, I think it's so great that you're looking at it another way too of saying like, well, we could do this really easier fix. It's not the end fix because we want to get the lines out, but do this small thing that we can put on there and then we can get to those whales quicker. And then you get, like you said, you get to it before the, 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 the lines have tightened around the animal and you know weakened it for days and weeks or whatever. Um, so you can do, we can do something now and still be building towards the bigger, better picture that we wanna do. 
Yeah, that's what we constantly do. We're, I, that's why we're a nonprofit. I, we didn't take the, the business model approach of trying to, you know, sell a used car. We really want all, I want all the other companies that build ropeless gear and other technologies to succeed and, and get noticed and be known. And that's why I try to work with all the groups because the more that we bring this together in a collaborative effect, the more trust we'll get from fisheries and the better chance we're going to have of saving these animals. Absolutely. Working together just with research too. If we work together and we share our data and we, we do that, it's, a, it's better for the animals. Yeah. Well, I think it's also really important to note that it, you know, it needed someone to spearhead that effort like yourself. Like it needed mm -hmm. someone who was able to bridge the gap for all of these different seemingly disparate organizations. So again, just like, it's incredible to just hear your story with that. And just also knowing you and knowing how passionate you are about all of this, like it needed, I think it needed rich to do this right. whole program. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, there's a lot of great people, you know, you guys included. It's there's there's a the world is amazing. I mean, that, that's the beauty of the human race is, you know, we, we deal with a lot of the doom and gloom, but there's so mm -hmm. much beauty and amazement from humans, you know, and, and people ask me all the time, like how you deal with, you know, knowing these whales are dying and entangled every day. How do you stay positive? And I'm, I get on the water with them. I hang out with them. I see the way that they're supposed to be. And if I'm, I've, I've, I've reported three entangled whales, you know, in my career already. So I'm like, well, if I'm out there and I see an animal that I can help, and even if I can't physically jump on that animal these days, but if I can get the right people there. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely passion. It's love for the ocean, for the animals, but it's, it's love for people and people working together. And I've had, I go out on those boats with other humans, you know, I'm not, it's not I wish I was riding Jonah or some other whale for <laughs> cruise out there on my killer whale. That'd be kind of cool. But um, yeah, no, I got to take a boat and work on it and keep it running and all the stuff I got to do for boats. But, but uh, they get to swim and have a lot of fun out there. I'm always jealous about that. Yeah. Well, I always love the, uh, it's from the Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it's, uh, it's I, I'm going to not do an exact quote, but it's like, humans thought they were the best because they built buildings and had society and did all these crazy things. And all the dolphins did is muck around and play in the ocean all day. And the dolphins thought they were the better species for exactly the same reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, you hang out with any dolphins, you're like, oh my God, they figured it out. They have yeah. a good life. I mean, I, I got, I was lucky enough to spend 10 years um, spending summers swimming with spotted and bottlenose dolphins in the Bahamas and just getting to be there with them doing their thing. And there's nothing like it. It's just uh, they're, amazing. They're incredible animals. They are. Yeah. With that, we need to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we are back. So I think that that's a good lead into the next one um, with working with people. And we've, we've touched on this uh, throughout here a little bit, but I think it's worth emphasizing again, the one of the unique things about your work, Rich, is your ability to bridge that gap with the fishermen and why this is also so important to them because what are the fishermen facing in as we're trying to save whales? So why does this help them as well? Yeah, so the, the biggest way we can save whales is truly is, is fisheries closures. That's what saves a whale. That We remove the, the risk to them where they come up and they actually are feeding in a very productive, active fishery. There's no better way or easier way to save a whale than, than close the fishery. But right. I mean, you can imagine how unpopular and, and how, how challenging that is to the the men and women that actually go there to do their job and the kids in college, the, the children that, you know, are in middle school that their dad's a lobsterman and can't go to work. I mean, any, any of us have been in situations with our family, you know, dad's out of work, mom's out of work. That really puts a strain, the stress, you know, we don't want that. We want, we want this symbiotic relationship to happen between whales and fisheries. My dream 
that someday that fishermen will actually tell the feds, will tell NOAA that they just saw 17 humpbacks on their trip today instead of hiding it like they have for so many years because they're they're so worried about being persecuted or villainized that they were fishing near whales. You know, they, we got to change that. And, and I want them to be proud that they, they can say, yeah, I was, I was fishing my rope of skier with a bunch of whales around. We, it was great. Um, well, and then, we, and then the researchers that are trying to research those whales get more data points because we can't be out in the water all the time and the fishermen are out there all the time. So why can't we work together to know that information? No, there's a huge gap there. Fishermen actually shared to the whale research community what they're seeing and what they saw. Because now they'll tell you, I've never seen a right whale. And I'm like, dude, I... I go out there all the time, exactly where you are, and I see whales all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh no, I never see. I never see whales. Never saw. Never and, seen one in my life. <laughs> you no, know, and it's 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 almost like you know it's it's taking that position because they don't want to be villainized, and right. so you know closures are what protect whales. Ropeless fishing is what allows fishermen to to fish in closures, and then hopefully someday. I'll probably be gone, but I hope that we lay down the foundation that the world will move into just ropeless fisheries, period. Yeah. And, and there won't even have to be closures because the, the fisheries can actually operate in, in this very clean symbiotic relationship with whatever marine life they're fishing around. And other than the active haulback procedure, there's very low risk. And we still have a lot of work to do on ship strike, but we're working on that as well. And, um, and I think that would be, that would be a real awesome change for the world. And, um, you know, we're going to just keep fighting through that and we keep gaining one fisherman at a time. And, and when I think about those fishermen, I think about how many vertical lines, each one of those fishermen that I help remove out of the ocean. And it's just this, it's kind of this snowball effect, you know, one fisherman to 10 fishermen to 100 fishermen to 1,000. And now we're making real change. And, and hopefully the public and the government will get behind this. And, you know, we've been shouldering a lot of this movement and a lot of the, I mean, I've been very thankful. I mean, writing these grants and having, you know, some people really believe in what we're saying and doing and getting funding to to get this gear built to give to fishermen, because that's what we do. We we raise money, we build the gear, and we hand it over to the fishermen. And then we listen. We say, is this working? Is this not working? Can we change it? Can we make it better? And I've taken all the money that we've been able to raise, and that's what we've done. And that's the thing is like they they're the ones that are using it. We can say, like, oh, well, this is this will work totally perfect, but <laughs> they're the ones actually using the gear. And so they can give you that feedback. And I think that's the really strong point too, is that you're working with them and listening to them. Everybody wants to be listened to and you're listening to them. And then that validates like, hey, these people are, you know, really, we're all trying to work together for the same thing. And so you have that relationship and that friendship and, and collegiality back and forth that then gets spread to other fishermen because they're like, oh yeah, hey, I've been working with Rich and he's really awesome. And like, Oh, and then they're like, oh, what? This ropeless fishing gear actually works? Let me try this. And like, <laughs> that's the way to spread it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, no, it's funny. I, I've had a few fishermen recently contact me and they're like, hey, can I invest? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, before this takes off, we want to invest. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was like, no, that's the biggest compliment I probably have ever had in this whole mm -hmm. project. That's and they're cool. like, no, no, they're like, no, we're serious. We're, we're, we're starting to see it. We, we're believing in what you're saying and, and you, you're building gear that the fishermen like. And, exactly. and that's, that really, you know, that really means something to us that, you know, they, they understand that we are listening and the way that my gear started and where we're at now is directly because of how I listen to them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's pretty, it's, it's just, it's a, it's, this is like the epitome of like, this is what you do, can do if we all work together. <laughs> you know, if we listen to each other and say, hey, this is working, hey, this isn't working, and we're not trying to attack you for anything, we're just trying to make this work. If we listen to each other and work together, we can accomplish amazing things. And that's what's happening here. Yeah. But I think that kind of leads nicely on to one of our other questions, which is collaborations with scientists. So you already talked a little bit about 
you know, getting the telemetry data and stuff and, and including that in the gear. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit more about how you work with the scientific community in addition to the fishing community. Yeah, I work, I work as much probably with the science community as I do with the fisheries. For one, um, to understand how important it is to stop these entanglements, the, you know, that community has really helped me understand the, the caloric needs for mamas, the, the, the agonizing effect of being entangled, the, the, the myopathy of being anchored for days or weeks, the, the drowning, like all of that, that stuff. But then I started realizing there was a real opportunity to work with the fishermen, the scientists and the engineers. And if we all work together, we could really do something special. And, and really what I decided was getting the scientists to help with the technologies and the study programs that they work on, and then try to enlist the fishermen, turn them into community scientists, give them the technology with the ropeless gear and listen for whales, take oceanographic data, take climatology and, and give more data than the world has ever seen. Now it's, it needs to be driven by very expensive operations and ships and, and all of these giant you know, sanctions of work that if a fisherman actually had the technology and was managing it and then just giving back the data bits, I saw a real huge movement here that could happen with community science. And I, I really believe in community science. Not only am I an engineer, but I am a community scientist. I, I love community science. I, that goes back to when I was a little kid studying animals and paying attention to species. And so I, I see a huge opportunity here to partner with science communities. And the, the lift bag technology is a lifting engine. So if you wanna put something specific at the bottom of the ocean, we have a pretty, pretty reliable, neat way of getting it back. And, and I think there's a lot of opportunities that we haven't even discovered yet from passive acoustic monitoring, which mm -hmm. I think we have done a lot and know a lot about, to, again, uh, data collection, climatology, turbidity. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And then some of the work we're going to do this summer is we're going to be actually filming and taking pictures and sending that data back from the sea floor with this modem technology that we use. And there's a lot of interest. Oh, you can check the gear while it's down there. You don't you have to bring check, it back up. Yep, you can check the gear, you can check the catch. So you can you can take a look and be like, oh, there's, there's a bunch of bait in there. There's only one lobster. Let's, let's haul it the next trip mm -hmm. and, and let it soak longer instead of hauling it all back up on deck to discover that. Um, <laughs> And fishermen are really interested in that. They they're like well, it makes it more efficient. Yeah, I mean that's efficient. ideal. Less less fuel to burn. Mm -hmm. Less pumps and machine machinery running on deck. So we're trying to we're trying to tie all of this together because robust fishing is very expensive. You know this this is a new technology, and we're using things that really have been used only for the science community or the navy to actually bring gear back from fisheries. So we need to continue to broaden the use, the, the manufacturability of it, you know, bring the cost down in areas. And, and then I believe that there's a whole realm of value using ropeless fishing that we don't even understand yet from, like I was saying, community science, um, you know, more efficient operations, less time on the deck. You know, they're thinking it's gonna take longer to do all this, but the studies we've been doing and working with the fishermen, we've been seeing some different stuff um, compared to what they originally thought about ropeless. Now, mitigated rope tools, it's a little bit different, but our lifting engine, that can bring up two or three pots right off the bottom. And those, those pots are now in the water column. And th that doesn't, the, the surface winch doesn't, need to record does not require to pull that gear up it, it's already there so all they got to do is skim it across the, the surface and get it in the boat and so there's a lot of neat opportunities and we're continuing to learn what community science other science groups um 
I'm, I'm working on building a, an aquarium addition. Um, the Whale and Dolphin Conservancy has reached out to me. They would like to see some basically showcase um, demonstration units that they could actually deploy at aquariums oh, to cool. show the yeah to show the public mm -hmm. and, and and make it a very interactive event and you know trigger the gear and have it come up in these big tanks um, well that that's so important because the education of the public right public drives consumerism and so if you have fishermen that are saying like yeah i'm using this ropeless gear and they have no idea what that is yeah, but if they do know, they're like, oh, I'm going to buy the stuff that comes from those fishermen because I like that technology and that's helping to save whales. And I've seen it at these places. Yep. That's, that's amazing. super cool. Um, well, I just had to put a plug in for when we, um, uh, Rich helped us put out our passive acoustic device uh, last summer. Um, and for, for, for those of you who don't know about acoustics, <laughs> A uh, passive acoustic device is basically a, a, a recorder that you throw out on the ocean and you leave it there and then you go pick it up later and it has a whole bunch of data on it, hopefully. Um, but the problem with that whole thing is throwing it out in the ocean and getting it back. <laughs> and <laughs> you Pat and I, problem. <laughs> right, hopefully you get it back. Um, and so how do we put it out there? And Kat and I are not engineers. We are just re simple researchers here. So we were like, okay, so do we make this like makeshift thing and then throw it over and then like have a buoy line that's coming up over here or whatever. And thank goodness we had already met Rich and we were you know, collaborating with him before then. And he's like, no, I'll make you a rig um, that with his lift bag technology. And so he made this design to fit our passive acoustic device. Uh, and with all those bells and whistles that he was talking about with the ropeless gear, and we took it out this summer and we throw it over the side of the boat, which is slightly terrifying when you first do it. You're like, okay, $5,000 worth of equipment. Okay, everything's fine. Um, but it was really exciting. And then, and we went, he went back a month later and it popped right up and it was so exciting to see the lift bag come up to the surface. And then, like you said, you just gaff it and you just pull it on the side of the boat. You don't need a a, a winch or anything like that. And so it'll, it, the, I think the, the thing for the scientific community, as you were talking about with that citizen science or in, and community science and things like that, um, having this technology available to researchers to be able to put out these passive acoustic device where we also don't have to put in lines that could entangle whales. Um, and we have the ability to pull it back up without having to have a big boat <laughs> to do so because yeah. boats are expensive. Um, so it really is, I think going to open up a lot of avenues to make our research safer for the animals as well and to be able to learn as much as we can from them. Yeah, I think it's a fun, I think it's a really fun new area to play. Um, we're excited about it. I, I think that, I think the possibilities are, are endless. Oh, the, yeah, there's, there's so many things that, and some that we don't even, we can't even fathom right now. <laughs> no. So much to learn. There's, there's the, the very first large wind farms are occurring uh, in, so when the, when the Biden administration came in, one of the things that they wanted to do is they wanted to bring a lot of green technology to the country. And one of those is offshore wind farms. Mm -hmm. and, and they have been getting very green, a lot of green lights. And there's been a lot of surveys occurring off the coast of Massachusetts, New York, Rhode Island, and they're going to build some of the largest wind farms the world's ever seen. And to be able to use this ropeless technology with passive acoustic listening and fishermen, boy, we could really get a lot of information of what is the effect of pile driving, mm -hmm. all this industrial work occurring right in right in North Atlantic right whale, basically highway, humpbacks, even blue whales and fin whales come through here. And um, so we're really pushing hard that, you know, the government supports getting a lot of these PAMs out with fishermen and, and mm -hmm. give us data from the, the moment this project starts to the time that those things are up and running and we're just doing maintenance. And, and uh, I believe that this could really change what we're gonna know about how these whales are being impacted. Yeah, it seems like such a, a simple solution, yet it it hasn't been up until now to be able to 
you know, as we're doing things, do the research with it, like have those things attached. Um, so I think it's just awesome that that's, you know, where you're going, like, we're not just doing this for the fishermen, we're doing it for research, we're doing it for all the things that will help in all the different ways to save the whales. Um, and just having that stuff out there. Yeah, the, the North Pacific right whale, which is even more <laughs> rare. How many are there now? Do you know, do you remember Kat? <laughs> the Pacific 30s, right the Pacific? Yeah, something like that. In the 30s. Yeah. Um, and the, the lead researcher, uh, Jessica Kranz, she's out of the Alaska Science Center. Uh, I have actually been, I'm gonna present to her that we get some of these sound traps in the fisheries hands around the Aleutians mm -hmm. and, and bring ropeless fishing to Alaska. I just signed a deal with an Alaska fisherman. Ooh, awesome. He, yep. No, they are very excited. They fish in, they fish Opelio and golden king crab right around this and this North Pacific right whale basically grounds. So I'm like, dude, I want to put listening devices yeah. in the technology. And he's like, that'd be fine. Um, so it, again, let's try to find these 30 using fishermen to put this stuff out in the most scary and inhospitable place that humans don't really belong and want to go except for these crazy crab men, which <laughs> is totally hardcore. awesome and total hardcore. But we might be able to capture where these whales are because they're so hard to find. And, and there's one, it's called Peggy. There is one listening station, one hydrophone array that's up in the, north in the Beaufort Sea. Like, um, I think it's a little bit north of the Aleutians. And that is, they have been getting detections there. So if we, if we had hydrophones on the, on the southern side of the Aleutians and they have that array on the north, you know, we could see if they're coming in on skating mm -hmm. the coast, you know, what are they looking for, for food? What are they up to? And the, the two that were seen recently, one has a terrible entanglement scar mm. and it was pretty fresh. So, you know, they're getting entangled and, you know, the gear that they're getting entangled, there's no chance. There, there's nobody to rescue them. Yeah, there's nobody out there. <laughs> there's nobody out there and the gear is super heavy. So mm -hmm. we want to begin to work with Alaska. Um, I, I've been very reluctant because it's Alaska is the world for fisheries. Um, but I've been gaining some real partnerships and some guys that are willing to try with no promise. I'm like, you guys fish in the hardest places on the planet. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> but if we can get it to work there, boy, I, I think we're gonna prove that it can probably work anywhere. Yeah, that's the thing. If you go to the harshest place and, and it works, then you're kind of golden <laughs> from so, there on out. Yeah. That's exciting. So let's see. Um, what? Uh, so we've talked about so much cool stuff, um, and we should probably uh, start to wrap it up and let you go sometime in the near future. But we're having so much fun talking with you. Um, just kind of a, a fun one that uh, to kind of go towards the end here is um what's your favorite part of your job and the least favorite part of your job i think you can probably figure out what the favorite part is but you should tell us anyway yeah i mean it's it's this it's yeah. it's getting to talk to like-minded or unlike-minded people that i somehow get to have a conversation and they listen to me and i listen to them the conversations have been incredible building the gear is an absolute joy i i've always i've been a tinkerer since i was a little kid i've built a lot of things, including my house. And so I love building the gear with my best friend, my East Coast director, Kevin Rand, and, and my small team here. And we love building the gear. We love being on the boats, getting out with the whales and testing the gear and throwing my hydrophone in and hearing what the heck's out there that day, taking pictures, taking video, just, just honored and humble to even be able to do this. I can't even believe it. I, I wake up every day feeling so thankful that I, I have a chance to try to change the world in a positive way, you know, with people and the whales themselves and, and, and to be in a place that I feel very comfortable. I love being out in the ocean. I, it's a happy place for me. It's, it's unique. It's changing. It's peaceful. It's, it's dynamic. You know that the 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 fluidity the fluidity the movement of the water the 
the skies, the weather. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it makes me feel like I'm alive and the earth is alive and it's moving. And, it, you know, we got to pay attention to that. And it, I'm, yeah, it's all great. It's all incredible. I, I, I never thought in a million years that at this age of my life, I'd be in my dream job, but I'm, <laughs> Well, and that's so unique to be able to do what you love. I mean, not everybody gets to do that. And I feel no. lucky enough that I do. And I think Kat does too. Um, and you do. It's just, it, it, there's something about, and it, it, not everybody has a certain passion that they can do that with. Um, and so it's, it's just, I love hearing about it. And I love seeing other people being able to do that because it's just a, such a wonderful, I agree with you. It's just such a wonderful thing to be able to just be doing what you really, really love and you're passionate about. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel you know doesn't feel like work. I, I've had people that have worked beside me like, like, dude, you are you are outworking me by like two to one. How do you work so hard? So, and I'm like, well, it's easy when you have passion for what you're trying to do. It, mm-hmm. Because maybe my work day is eight hours, and then the rest of my day researching or reading to my son, reading about whales. Like, oh, like we we just did. We just been reading a lot about North Pacific right whales together. You're like. Nice. you know engaging him and and how interested he is with me and and ask questions and so it's yeah it's that's the young like we are very big into educating like you are we want to we want to work with kids and young young minds and and see how they expand and what ideas they give us back i'm like oh my god kid thank you you gave me the greatest <laughs> idea so because they think outside the box they're like well why don't you just do that and you're like oh uh, every day about that no every Good day idea. no they're having a seven-year-old it's 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 really fun and i i know you know this so that's yeah that's yeah i'm very humbled and honored every day i i i can't believe that i get a chance to try to help these animals in a productive way you know that's mm-hmm. that's really what it comes down to me it's like i want to be productive and 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 i want to work with people but i know it at the end of the day, every one of these units I build is one less death-defying vertical line to them. Mm-hmm. Well, to be able to do it, it's something more tangible. Like for us, we know we're collecting data that is necessary for conservation efforts to be able to know how to conserve and what to protect and how to protect it. But it's a little bit different when you know the thing that you're putting out there is legitimately saving a whale because there is no line there that they can get entangled with. And that's just super cool. Um, so what, uh, what is the least favorite, everybody has a least favorite part, even if you're really passionate. I know I, I do too, but what's your least favorite part of the job? Yeah, my reports. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. Um, <laughs> that, you know, when you, when you take money, when you get money under grants and, and, you know, these, these mechanisms of getting funding that what they're paying for at the end, they, they're happy that you're having a great day and you're doing all your fun stuff, but they they need proof and data and understanding of what you accomplished. And it's it's not that it's my worst part of the day, but I'm I become a last minute Larry for reports. So <laughs> it's like everything that it comes to grants and grants in general, mm-hmm. it's, it comes down to the wire um, for me. So. I, I think it does it. for most people. I think we're all yeah, just, especially so. we're like, well, we'll just, we'll just wait till we have to do that till we really have to do it. And then we'll do it. <laughs> my, my wife doesn't, my, actually, my wife does not work that way. She's actually very organized and mm. way more like she'll have something done weeks before it's due. And then when it's due, she's like, I'm done. <laughs> and for me, I am, I am, I work under pressure. That's, that's how I work the best. And I've always done my most <laughs> miraculous work <laughs> under pressure, <laughs> but it is the most challenging part of my day. Um, and then just running out of the day is yeah. not having enough day time, mm-hmm. time, and, and you know, trying to manage everything else. You know, trying to be a dad and a husband, and you know, take care of my house and take care of my puppy, and and ultimately, this year I've been you know trying to really take care of myself. I'm back in the gym, like. Mm-hmm. Mom gave me a nice home gym, so I'm nice. back exercising and, you know. Yeah, well, like, it's, well, impor- it's important, but it's hard to make the time for that. 
because you're like, Indeed. oh, that can wait, you know, but like it can't because if you want to continue to do it, you got to take care of yourself. And I have the yeah. same problem. <laughs> no, I'm not going to save whales if I'm not here. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I think Kat and I have a similar relationship too, where I, I, I would presume to say that I am a bit more last minute and she is a bit more prepared <laughs> and having things laid out. So it's good to have that balance of when you're working together to have somebody who can push it to be like have stuff done and another one that can bang it out the end if you need to but that balance is a good thing to have I think it works no well. it's no it's 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 awesome I mean the the last bit of writing with you was such an honor and was I think we did a good job I, I think we got a good I think we did a good thing I think so too yeah I, I he's referring to it I helped uh, him with a grant um, that they're going forward for this next year and I was so excited because I learned so much you know I knew what you did but like getting into the nitty-gritty of like how this actually works and all the different parts. And it was just really neat to be able to see that and then to work back and forth with you to, you know, try to make that grant the best it could be and, you know, how it saves the whales and how it helps the fishermen. And, and I think we worked really well together and hopefully fingers crossed the, uh, <laughs> the people who are reading the grant think so too. <laughs> yeah, no matter what I'm, you know, the, I've, I've written grants that I haven't received and I'm still very proud of everything we write because it, it ends up becoming a document that's there in time forever that, you know, I'm proud of. And, you know, it, it states our case. It, it says what we want to do and whether we get funded or not, it's still something that I'm very proud of and always, you know, an honor to work with another incredible professional. You really helped me. <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, so, I'm glad that it, I'm glad to be of some help. You know, I'm like, I'm not sure if I can do that much, you know, what you need, but I think it worked well. No, it was awesome. We're, you know, I, the, the rep, the bycatch reduction engineering program grant that the pre-proposals do the 20th. So I'm going to pencil out the two pages and I'll be sending it along to you. Awesome. I'll be waiting for it. <laughs> and that's, again, that, I think that's a good way to wrap up of like, this is how you work together, right? You have engineers, you have researchers, you have fishermen, you have community scientists, you have citizen scientists. We have, you know, a program that have people go out and do observations for us. And if all of us can work together, we can find these solutions that are critical to saving whales and saving the ecosystems because they are a huge part of it. And you can't just save one species. You have to save, you know, the majority of them, if not all of them, if you can. Um, but it's really important if we if we work together, we can do that. And if we don't work together, it's going to be a, not that we can't do it, but it's going to be a whole heck of a lot harder. Um, and so I just think it's that kind of collaboration is really just the way to go and it's ideal and it's great to see the work that you're doing rich and we're so proud to be a part of it and we're looking forward to getting the um the passive acoustic device back out again for its second second tour of duty in the <laughs> in in our study site and um and helping to move that along of of you know having those prototypes tested and show that other researchers that it works and we can do it and all that kind of stuff so we just want to thank you so much, Rich, for coming on the podcast with us and sharing what you do and your passion. And anytime we get to talk to you, it's just so much fun. Um, when we're not doing podcasts or other things, we get to hang out with him and we just geek out about science and whales and it's awesome. <laughs> and I think I would just add to that too, that just one of the things that personally I always love when we do get to hang out with you, Rich, is just your, your enthusiasm is infectious. And I think mm -hmm. that's enough communicating to other people why it's important and really believing in what you do um, is just, it's, it, it is, and they said, it's an honor to be around. And we, we definitely get a lot out of hanging out with you and it re-inspires us every time we're around you. So thank you so much for everything. You do. Yeah, likewise. I mean, I pay very close attention to your guys' work. It's always so amazing. You know, I, I'm always, I'm very honored to work with you, you two as well. It's, it's, um, it's so cool. I, we're so lucky. <laughs> I mean, I, we're so lucky to live like, you know, about 40, you know, 40 minutes to an hour away. So we can get together more regularly and do this research together rather than being on opposite coasts, which makes it more difficult. No, this year will be, I mean, I've, I've been for two years that we've, we have completely redid my, my crazy research boat. And oh, that's right. Underwater camera lights. Oh, I mean, a real freshen up. So it's going to be really exciting this year. A big heating system, lots of, lots of heat. 
We like um, that. Heat, heat is good. Where we're at in the Salish Sea, it's, you know, 50 degrees water most of the time. And it's, it's always it's chilly. Cold. Yeah. It's always cold. So we're, we're getting real close. I'm probably three weeks, maybe, maybe a month away. Um, and that's we'll perfect be, timing for when I'm going to be back up there from my oh yeah. vacation out here. Uh, no, we're, we're excited. We, the big boat can, uh, can, can take us anywhere. So we want to go down and see the gray whales. We can go hang out with the gray whales. We want to find Cat still has not seen a gray whale. This is, that's one she has not seen yet in real life. So oh, well, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll solve that. They definitely, okay. I, I know where they hang out. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. I'm down. Awesome. Well, we're going to plan to get together with Rich and go out and do science and research and hang out and see whales. Um, and uh, we're just so excited to be able to do that with him and to share the, his work with you guys here um, at the Pac-Man podcast. And um, so if you want to look up, their uh, website is smelts.org, so S-M-E-L-T-S dot O-R-G. And they have lots of stuff on there about what they're doing um, and the future stuff that they're going to do. I know you're working with some, um, some stuff for gill netting as well. Um, and just trying to make the, the oceans as safe a place as possible for the whales. So thank you again, Rich, for coming. And uh, next time we will have a marine mammal highlight. I don't know who that's going to be of, but you will get to choose this time. Last week, the beginning of the year, we just chose for you because you guys were busy with the holidays. Um, so we'll <laughs> give you a choice. Check out Instagram uh, and Facebook stories for that poll um, towards the beginning of the month. And uh, I think we're gonna have another interview after that, um, but we'll let you know that on the next one. So in the meantime, check us out on Facebook and Instagram, uh, check out our website. We do have a store, you can buy cute little stuffed animals uh, and other Pac-Man gear. Uh, and then all the, all the money goes back into the research. So thanks again for hanging out with us and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you, bye-bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M, to learn more about us, our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.